we must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey, and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support, and now for the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Wyrock, and I, we did get back this just this last weekend, spending uh, a week or so at the Education Leadership Conference, and we are just fired up here at HET about improving DPT education. And one of the emerging themes in DPT education is that of the hybrid program. And this is an education podcast, so we thought that we would bring an expert in on this topic. And so today we're joined by our very special guest, Dr. Julie Tilson. Dr. Tilson is an associate professor of clinical physical therapy and the director of the hybrid doctor of physical therapy program at the University of Southern California, Division of Biokinesiology and Physical Therapy. So thanks, Julie, for joining us today. Thanks. I'm really glad to be here. For all of our listeners who may not be familiar with you, would you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, uh, I've been on faculty at USC since 2005, and my passion really since the very beginning of my career, even before coming on faculty, has been evidence-based practice. Um, How to make evidence-based practice a reality, um, efficient and effective for therapists and our patients. And through that teaching of evidence-based practice, I had a lot of opportunity to learn how to teach in a student-centered way. In some ways, it's almost better to have a topic that students don't think they're going to like, like they do not walk into PT school looking forward to semester after semester of evidence-based practice. And so I was challenged early on to make that content engaging and relevant for students. And I had all kinds of great opportunities. I got to go to Oxford, um, how to teach evidence-based practice course way back when I started on faculty and then returned there for many years after that. And they, it's how to teach evidence-based practice, but it's really how to be a student-centered teacher and how to make content engaging and real for students. Uh, USC here, we did a USC faculty fellowship that focused on student-centered learning. And um, Linda Fetters and I have written a book, uh, Evidence-Based Physical Therapy, that is focused on making this type of content relevant. Uh, And we also do an institute for EBP, um, for teaching EBP for faculty of PT programs. So with all of that, um, that has been my passion and I've now transferred that to um, my role as director of the USC hybrid 
version of our DPT program. So, you know, the hybrid program is still a newer concept in DPT education. Can you tell us specifically about what the hybrid, what hybrid learning is and give our listeners some context? Yeah, hybrid learning is, it can be a lot of different things depending on what a particular program decides to do, right? So just like um, learning in a classroom can be completely different depending on the program you're in and the faculty member who happens to be teaching that day. But for us, and I think a lot of programs doing hybrid education, there are some relatively similar overarching constructs. And that is that students have in our program asynchronous content that they watch on their own and interact with on their own, um, what we call live sessions or synchronous content. Um, they have immersions and of course they have clinical education. So for us, asynchronous content is um, exactly what you always wanted to have happen in your lecture or your demonstration. So we take our faculty into studio. That's a studio in Atwater Village. So basically a Hollywood studio down the street. Uh, and we uh, say, give your best, most engaging version of your lecture. And the lectures are never more than 15 minutes. On average, they're about eight minutes at a time because we know that that is when students start to run out of attention um, for a given topic. So they do a short lecture and then um, they build in um, interactive content, like reflect on what you just heard, answer some recall questions, go a little deeper, um, and then we have another video. And so the lectures are created specifically for the online learner and specific to um, how we think that the student can best get that information in the self-directed manner. Um, likewise, the asynchronous content has hundreds and hundreds of demonstration videos we have actors that come in and act as patients to act out um, case examples. We have everything that we, um, you would want to learn about, you know, how all entry level orthopedic skills are demonstrated. And, you know, in a traditional classroom, you might hover around one table. Um, we have big classrooms in our residential program, so we also have a single camera that projects into three different areas of a large room. But in the hybrid version, you're looking at a video recording pulled from five camera angles, right? So you can see every different camera angle the faculty gets to choose, now show from the overhead camera, now show from my left side, now show from my right, and then we also use special effects. So we are able to overlay anatomical drawings of the patient as the patient's being evaluated or moving so that you can actually see, hey, oh yeah, that's where that joint is, that's where that ligament is that's being moved as the person's actually doing, say, a manipulation or something like that of the body. Um, we also have animated skeletons so that as the um, instructor is, say, showing a particular technique, you see the patient's body moving and then separately you see the skeleton moving so you can actually visualize what's happening underneath the skin. So it's kind of like you, your imagination can go wild about how do we deliver this content in the way that leverages technology and the content that our expert faculty bring to the table. Then, so students watch that content for every course every week. And then for every course every week, they have live sessions. And live sessions are uh, small groups with a faculty member, one to two hours, depending on the content uh, or the um, credits hours of the course. And so <clears throat> 
they meet with one faculty member. Uh, for us, it's to about 12 students. And this is to talk about what was covered in that asynchronous content. And if it's a patient management course, the students will have practiced independently with um, community volunteers and then can come into the live sessions and talk about this is this was a question I had when I was working with my volunteer or can you watch this video of me doing this particular movement and let's talk about this you know video that people have uploaded of them practicing and so uh, there's a tagline with a company that helps us build these things called no back row and when you have one faculty to 12 students you have a lot of opportunity to make sure that all 12 students are getting the information they need nobody can hide <laughs> um, and there's a lot of opportunity for discussion deep discussion around clinical decision making third content of course is immersions and immersions are where students come to campus and it is all laboratory no sitting down no classroom time you are either in the anatomy lab or in the patient management lab practicing uh, we have a very high ratio of faculty to students in this so that we make sure that every minute the students are practicing and getting the feedback they need so that they can refine their physical skills because obviously it's physical therapy right so we really need to make sure they have those manual skills and um, that happens by one, they should come into their immersion having had a lot of practice under their belt and now they're ready to have someone really watch them and refine those skills. And then at the end of the immersion, they take their practical exams in an in-person, obviously, environment. And then for us, the clinical education is exactly the same as our residential program um, where students go out starting in their second semester on integrated clinical education experiences throughout the course of the three years. Wow, that is, uh, I love the um, anatomy going over the body of the, the volunteer. That is so incredibly cool. And you know, at, at ELC this year, they talked a lot about how to integrate technology into DPT education. And you are, um, really interested and passionate about making lectures interesting and making them interactive. Um, I'm just curious, how do you do that in your personal lecturing and what type of advice would you give to other faculty members that maybe want to make some of their maybe more boring content a little more <laughs> interactive for students? Well, for my content particularly, I have a rule that you always have a case. Like I never teach content without a patient at the end of that learning experience for the student. Uh, so we took our cases that had been paper cases in my EBP courses that I direct. They'd been paper cases for as long as I've been here and I developed them over the years. And it was super cool because we've now brought in actresses and actors who became that person, right? And so we'd start a lesson with here's this patient and I'm interviewing the patient and they say, geez, you know, this is what's going on with my ankle. What's the best evidence to treat that? And now we say, okay, now you're going to go through some lectures and watch this content, but you're always linking it back to, all right, I need to use this content from this lecture to solve this problem for this patient that I saw. And my expectation is by actually seeing that person and having them have emotions and um, depth to them, that it's going to be even more meaningful. Um, keeping lectures short is important, using animations is important, uh, and stopping and asking students to reflect. So I'll often say in a lecture, so, okay, in the next segment, I want you to 
do this or, you know, um, reflect on what I've just said and add to the conversation. And the students might then put something in the online environment that their fellow classmates can see that builds on what I said so that it's much more of a, an interactive process than just clicking, listening, click, listen, because that could be pretty awful. <laughs> sort oh, of boring. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's really cool. I love that. And you know, the first hybrid program was at South College or EIM and now and now Baylor has been the second. Why did USC decide to start their hybrid program? Uh, well, it was definitely a long and thought out process for us. And I want to give a shout out to two other programs that have been doing this for a long time. They uh, St. Augustine started theirs in 2005, according to their website, and Nova Southeastern in 2011. Their models are a little more um, weekend-based immersions versus kind of the longer type immersions that I talked about, where ours are, uh, you know, a week at a time type of thing. But for us, it was uh, a shared governance process. Um, and we presented on this at that educational leadership conference that you referenced at the top of the show. In 2000. 15, a company called 2U that does um, graduate level online education come to, came to us and said, look, we're doing nursing uh, in a hybrid environment. We're doing speech therapy. We want to do physical therapy and we want to do it with USC. And that's really what put it on the radar for us. And we thought, all right, let's let's talk to this company. Of course, we were skeptical, like, well, you know, we're really good. We've over 70 years of experience of doing this in our residential environment. Uh, and we knew from the very beginning that we would not do this if we could not maintain the quality that USC is known for. Like, that was the first premise. If we cannot maintain the quality and the rigor of what we feel we've committed to the physical therapy profession through our education program, we will not do this. And we spent an entire year uh, talking with this company and talking amongst ourselves and exploring um, what, this what the technology is and what we could do. Um, and ultimately, we decided that, you know what, we, we think we can do this. And we think we can do this in a way that meets the expectations we have for the USC brand, uh, which, and we were going through a strategic planning process at the same time, and our goal was to transform physical therapy education to meet societal needs. And for us, societal needs are for amazing physical therapists who are doctors of physical therapy, who can truly practice in a direct access environment, who can be leaders in healthcare, it, be it in their hospital, be it on a national level. And we felt like we could do it in a way that created that kind of future leader. And so ultimately we had a faculty vote and said, yes, we are up for doing this and um, launched into the process. Um, really excited to be able to also um, be part of this cutting edge transformation. It is going to happen. And I think one thing is USC said, if this is going to happen, we wanna be part of defining how it's done. I agree. I think that it is something that is being called for in the profession. And I think that it's great that USC has been an early adapter of it. And you know, why not, if we're going to make this the best that we can, why not have the best institutions participate 
in the process. And I'm sure creating this hybrid program involved a lot of work. And, you know, there are probably a lot of people um, who are from other programs listening to this podcast and they want to know, how is this done? I mean, can you explain just the process of actually starting and creating a USC hybrid program and where it is now, whether along with cost and accreditation and all those other big questions that come into play when we're talking about starting a program? Yeah, well, you're right. It is a tremendous undertaking uh, and it is expensive. This is a huge investment that the university and the division are making. Uh, some people have said, oh, you know, you're trying to make more money. Yeah, no, <laughs> this is, it will take us a long, long time um, to recruit this investment, but we feel like, like we were talking about with the last topic, um, this is the time to um, figure out how to do this and do it really well. So the way we approached it uh, is at the very beginning, we uh, named a faculty development team. So I had five, now we've grown to six faculty who work with me week in and week out to define what does this program look like? Answer all of the questions um, that come up when you're dealing with the complexity of a physical therapy program. And one thing that's really important is that this is not a separate program from our residential program. So both from accreditation standpoint and from a principal standpoint. So we went to CAPTI and asked for a substantive change. And so basically we told them we are going to add a hybrid version of our residential program, but it will have the same courses with the same credits, with the same larger faculty. We certainly expanded our faculty. Um, same, everything is the same. The tuition is the same. The um, <clears throat> Credits are the same, the clinical education experience is the same. Um, but doing it in a hybrid environment really does mean that you pick up each piece of your program, be it a given an individual lecture or a student mentoring program, and you have to look at how are we going to do this in the hybrid environment to meet our students' needs. And so this faculty development team, uh, along with our partners at this company 2U, who we're working with on the program, um, have been meeting once or twice a week for as long as the program has been in existence to address these issues. Um, our CAPTI process was approved through the substantive change process, and then we began admitting students in early 2018. So we were approved in 2017. In the fall, we began admitting students in 2018. We build courses uh, in advance. And we started about a year before the students take the course. So right now we have our students going through our first year. We have just started building our second year courses that they'll take a year from now. Well, we're a couple months into that now. Um, and each course takes about 10 months to build. It takes a tremendous amount of work. So the faculty who teach the course in the residential program for the most part are the people doing the translating, but we are bringing in additional people to support them. Uh, and we have hired at least 16 people, many of them full-time, kind of adding to our already pretty large faculty. Uh, and uh, it is an everyday process. We brought, we're bringing in new staff because obviously the students need a lot of support from the staff perspective. Uh, so, but the exciting thing is, uh, is that you really do get to look at every single piece of the program, which is, 
it's a lot of work, but it's also like, when else would you do that, right? Where you actually look at every single thing you're doing and think, is this the best way we can do it? How can we leverage the, um, the technology that we're now gonna be using to do this better? Uh, and our residential students in our traditional program get access to all of the content that's developed for the hybrid program. So that's also kind of another transformation we're going through is how do we teach in a residential environment when we have all of this amazing content available online. Do you have, does the student that's in the residential program look different than the student in the hybrid program? Uh, not as different as you would think. Um, for our first cohort, the uh, hybrid students are a little bit older. On average, they're about four years older. Um, and otherwise, no. Uh, we, had, we have more, I don't know if that it has to do with hybrid or not, but we have more males in this first class. So we'll often have like 60, 65% female in our residential classes. And we have 48% female, 52% male in the hybrid version. Um, and we have about the same um, for like underrepresented racial and ethnic groups in the 20% region. Um, so not as different as you would think. And when you meet the students and you talk to them, they feel just like any other PT student, frankly. Do you recommend, are the students that are in the hybrid program, I know that you said that your goal was to maintain the rigor of USC's curriculum. Mm -hmm. Do the students of the hybrid program, like are they out, are they working while they're also going to PT school typically, or do you recommend that they maintain the same type of lifestyle as say a traditional student would? Definitely the latter. Uh, and that's been something we've had to work with and the students is that people think, gosh, you know, I can stay in my community and keep working. But this is a 60 to 70 hour a week experience. Like this is way more than full time work. They are in class every day. They have, you know, many tens of hours of, of content to be working on. So we have really worked with our hybrid students to make sure that they are not working or if they are working, it's, you know, a couple of hours a month because otherwise it's really not humanly possible to do both. What feedback have you received from USC stakeholders like alumni, donors, students, administration, other institutions regarding this program, this hybrid program? Well, I think a, a healthy mix of excitement and some skepticism. Certainly. Um, people on the excited end of the spectrum are um, both alumni, students, other programs are super excited to see USC entering this and taking this on uh, and contributing our perspective to how this is, can be done. Um, <clears throat> people with um, skepticism are worried that, you know, say like an alumni, they're concerned that, geez, you know, I put a lot of um, value. I have a lot of ownership of the USC brand, and there's certainly a lot of bad online education experiences. You know, we've all taken some kind of random course or something like that, you know, uh, getting a ticket taken off of our driver's license or something, right? And it's terrible. It's like just a PowerPoint slide and someone talking in the most boring voice possible. And so people have this worry that we're going to take the USC brand that they're so invested in and do something that would be bad for the students and for the brand and of course ultimately for patients. Um, so what I found is the more people under, understand what we're doing and see that we're using technology to do online education in ways that 
have never been imagined before because the technology is emerging um, every day, uh, people feel, become a lot more comfortable. Uh, one thing that was really helpful, and I would recommend this for any program who were was deciding to do this, is our students at the current time when we announced it were particularly concerned. They felt like we'd made a big change and it caught them off guard. And uh, so we started a student advisory committee and especially early on, but still now, I meet with them on a regular basis to both share with them so they can share with their classmates what's happening, um, really pull back the curtain and explain all the details of how we're doing it and what we're doing and why we're doing it. Uh, and also they were critical in helping our development team understand what were the parts of the USC student experience that weren't in the syllabi, right? What are the things that make them feel like this is what is transforming me? This is what is making me be a leader uh, of physical therapy in the future. And by giving that content, which I could have guessed, but getting it from them was much more authentic, um, made it so that we took each of those things and made sure there's an opportunity for the hybrid students to do those things as well, right? So hybrid students are able to be involved in research at a distance. Hybrid students have a mentoring program. Hybrid students have a buddy. You know, all of these things um, that really make the USC experience uh, something that the students treasure, we were able through their feedback to make sure that's available for the hybrid students as well. I think that is so important. Transparency, I think, is the biggest reason why potentially buy-in would not be very good, is if you're not transparent with the process and with what you're trying to do, everybody's going to be, be suspicious because we're physical therapists. We need to get our hands on people. We need to practice. How are you going to practice when you're looking at a computer the whole time? So I think that I just love what you said about that. And I've had some conversations with a couple of people who have been pro who are program directors at different institutions. And that's kind of one of the biggest worry that they hear is from students and from alumni with, well, like the reason I love going here is because of the brand and because of what I learned and the experience and the fact that you guys took that initiative to really make sure that you're being transparent with stakeholders, that you're understanding the current student experience and trying to um, duplicate that with the hybrid program, I think is probably what is going to ultimately make this program very successful. I hope so. And you know, the other thing we've committed to skeptics, which I welcome, is we are doing much needed scholarship. We have a gold mine opportunity here, right? We have two groups, they're not randomized, they are self-selected, but we have two groups of people going through the same program with a different methodology, right? And so we are um, taking on some really substantive research to be able to understand um, what's happening with these students and to meet that commitment, right? Like we can say, oh, we're gonna maintain the quality, but now our real commitment is, we're not just gonna try, we're not just gonna promise, we're actually gonna study what we're doing. And if we find that we have a gap somewhere, we're gonna know it and we're gonna adapt, right? And so that's another piece is that is we have a whole DPT program scholarship group here who is working you know, month in and month out to get this data collected, analyze this data and respond to it on a semester by semester basis, as well as publishing it for the greater community to be able to assess what we're doing and kind of look at the data themselves. Uh, yeah, that, that totally leads really well into uh, this next question then, you know, based on your expertise, and obviously it seems like there has not been any studies on this hybrid program versus this traditional program. What 
differences would you hypothesize? Do you think that there won't be any differences? And if there are differences, what would you expect those to be? You know, generally the research that's been done so far, which tends to be more about an individual course or learning experience than an entire program, um, the results seem to be neutral to positive. So it's, it's not uncommon for some of the previous researchers to find students did just as well in either version, like kind of a traditional um, classroom version versus a, the research calls it um, computer assisted learning. So using a computer somehow to help support learning. Uh, but there's also a lot of evidence just beginning to emerge that shows positives. And a lot of the positives are related to clinical decision-making and um, reflective practice. And that's something I'm really excited about is this opportunity through the live sessions with these small discussion groups as the key focus of faculty time, that time that faculty are spending with students, that we may start to see uh, a better performance in clinical decision-making and reflection, which are associated with that high-level practice, not just there's nothing wrong with doing techniques, but doing techniques is not what the future physical therapist is going to, it's not how we're gonna revolutionize physical therapy. We're gonna revolutionize physical therapy by having clinicians who can figure out what's wrong with a person's movement and address that at a very high level. And you know, if we find that the students do do better in that environment, we will be, in fact, we already are um, in anticipation of that, changing how we do our residential program so that people have that same opportunity. So hopefully we won't see a difference because we will keep having one program lift the other up. Right. Yeah, I think that that's a great point. And, you know, one of the criticisms that I've heard a lot of people say just about educational research in general is that it's really hard to study these things. So there's not like a ton of evidence just in general looking at all these different models of education, educational res research. So that's really great that you are able to delve into that and then continue to build on what the findings are and continue to improve it. And there are a lot of new models in DPT education that are being proposed, including competency-based learning, problem-based learning, and hybrid learning. With all of these potential models, what is your vision for DPT education? Where do you think it's going? I think that DPT education is, it needs to be, I don't know if this is where it's going, but where it needs to be going is it needs to be creating a practitioner who can change as fast as our healthcare system is changing and adapt to the needs of society, the people that they're serving. And so to me, I think there's probably a lot of different models that can work for that. It's, it's not necessarily about the model, it's about the outcome. What are we trying to create? What is the physical therapist of the future? And my, my vision for the future of physical therapy or DPT education is that we know what a quality physical therapist is. That's actually very hard to objectively identify. And I think we need to figure that out. How do we not just have people pass the licensure exam? That's the bottom, right? That, that's the minimum. You get over that to practice. That doesn't help programs really figure out um, how do we create that doctor of physical therapy that we promised the pop, you know, the society when we made that change 20 years ago, how do we make that everybody or as many people as possible so that if someone walks into a physical therapist's office, they know they're going to get an outstanding evaluation with an appropriate differential diagnosis and a decision and management 
that is truly evidence-based, is optimized for that patient, isn't skewed toward more treatment time because we're being paid for our brains and not the time that we spend with patients. Like that's what I wanna see education doing. And I don't think any particular model is gonna do that. I think that transforming education to the future of physical therapy and what a physical therapist can be is what we need to be really questioning about ourselves rather than you know, a particular model. I totally agree. I think that, you know, what we've heard a lot on this show is that um, people find that these people, these physical therapists are coming out of school and their ability to critically think and critically um, solve problems when they're in the clinical setting is not as high level as I think faculty members and as, you know, society would like it to be. So I think that's a really great point. And, you know, in, in Jim Gordon's Macmillan lecture in 2014, who is a USC faculty member, he called for the consolidation, actually, of DPT programs and stated that a problem in DPT education lies with a uh, proliferation of small, inadequately resourced schools that don't engage in research, and he cautioned that the profession is, and this is a quote, evolving to a two-tiered education system in physical therapy. So Dr. Gordon is a faculty member at USC, and so I'm interested in knowing what your, thought, what your thoughts are on how the hybrid DPT education will or will not achieve this vision that Dr. Gordon lays out in his lecture. Yeah, and Dr. Gordon is our chair and our leader, uh, and he certainly has um, the hybrid program is reflected very much in his thinking on this topic. And, you know, really, well, one, yes, the hybrid program makes us bigger, right? We've brought on many faculty. We will continue to bring on faculty as we expand across the three years. Uh, we used to have about 300 PT students on campus. Now we have 350 and in not very long we'll have 450 students. And what this is about is that physical therapy's changed. It's really a complex and dynamic profession with lots of areas of practice and we're pushing into new areas of practice. And this makes us more influential and more impactful for society. But that is hard to do with a very small faculty. You know, his vision there, as I understand it, is a lot about the people who are teaching. If you have a lot of students, you can have a lot of faculty. And when you have a lot of faculty, those students are getting perspectives on the physical therapy profession that are broad and deep. Uh, and so, yeah, hybrid education allows us to not be limited by, you know, how many students we can fit in a classroom um, and not be limited by the types of students who want for, our, for us to relocate to Los Angeles, which is quite an undertaking, um, and allows us to expand the network of the students that we're educating and particularly the network of faculty that we're able to tap into. We have some amazing faculty that have left over the years because they you know, had family that were in far-flung parts of the country. And we have brought many of them back Right, so now these people have come back, they're on faculty, we're meeting with them all the time, they're teaching our courses, and they don't have to live here anymore. And, but we knew they were people we really wanted back, right? And so, yeah, the hybrid program for us is an important part of making sure that we have 
um, really powerful programs and also that it's ingrained in a research focused institution. You know, we are able to have faculty doing research across the spectrum of physical therapy practice and they are the people who are teaching our residential and hybrid students. And I think that benefits the students. You know, the, the thing that is really sticking with me right now, Julie, is your statement that physical therapy education needs to evolve with healthcare. I mean, I think that that is probably the biggest takeaway that I've taken from this interview right now. I think that that is such a profound statement and that is so incredibly true. And, you know, with the hybrid DPT education, obviously that's something that can fit that. But what are the drawbacks? And, you know, you've mentioned a lot of the benefits of the program, but what are some of the drawbacks? And maybe if there's any benefits we haven't covered yet of the hybrid program? You know, yeah, let, we've talked about a lot of the benefits. I think one of the drawbacks that I'm working on figuring out, and frankly, this is a challenge for faculty and students, I call it the hallway effect. So when I walk down the hallway in our building where all of our faculty and, and residential students are housed, or on-site folks, they can see, we can see each other in the hallway and it sparks some idea, some thought, and you're like, oh, hey, I have a question about this, right? And so there's the spontaneous generation of ideas that happen from seeing each other outside the context of a scheduled meeting. And I think that happens for faculty too, or for students too, right? You see a student walking down the hall and maybe they're looking a little blue or maybe they're looking really jubilant and you can kind of just say, hey, what's going on? And you get a little insight into what's happening in this little snippet of their lives. And that is something that we need to recreate uh, in the hybrid environment because everything is a little more scheduled, right? Like you spend a lot of time in class, you spend a lot of time talking to faculty and us to students, but you don't have quite that random potential for connection. And so that's something we're looking at. I was reading an article today where one faculty member had solved this by setting up short little five to 15 minute conversations with students at, at semi-random times over the course of the semester to connect with them. I know with my faculty who are at a distance, I try to have like a texting relationship. I'm pretty comfortable, you know, texting with people and I might just reach out to them and say, how was your weekend? Much like I would do when I walk by somebody's office here, but so that I can be connected with them outside of the, the structured meeting and class time environment. So I think that's something we're working on figuring out. Another thing that the students have definitely needed coaching on in this first group is how to practice their physical skills. Uh, our program is designed so that you, you do not walk into lab as a blank slate getting ready to practice. You walk into lab um, ready to go and having practiced. And so, uh, and they're practicing on people who are not physical therapy students necessarily. And I think in the end that might serve them well because that's what patients are like. Uh, but in the short run, you know, that person can't give them as much feedback. And so we're working with them to figure out what are the best types of people to practice with and, and how to do that um, so that they can come into immersion really prepared to advance their skills and not just start building them. Um, what what uh, uh, what realm does social media play in trying to build those relationships that you talked about for the hall to solve the hallway effect? What types of things have you done with that? You know, the students use Google Chat a lot, so uh, where they might chat each other as a group. You know, somebody, hey, did you guys did you see that funny video? Um, you know, what'd you guys think? That type of thing. Um, but I think there's opportunity for us to build. You know, we have many faculty that are really involved mostly on Twitter. 
Um, and we have quite a few classes in the residential program that use Twitter to promote reflection. So people, students are asked like to actually tasked to tweet about their lessons for the week. And I'm sure that will be part of it, but we haven't yet kind of transformed that into the hallway effect where it's outside structure. But I like that idea actually as a potential. Um, we haven't explored that. I think with your suggestion, we probably will. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I follow both Scott and um, James McAfee on mm -hmm. Twitter, and they're alum of your program. Yeah. And I love their tweets. And, you know, now that you say that some of the faculty schedule, like, reflective tweets that people should put out, sometimes I feel like that's what their tweets are. And they get a ton of traction. Like, they get a ton of retweets. They get a ton of likes. And it really, I think, adds to the conversation on social media, the positive conversation on social media for physical therapy. So I think that, you know, definitely utilizing social media to provoke some of those uh, conversations. And then, you know, if, if it's something that's really reflective, a lot of times it's going to get a lot of shares, which would then potentially give a lot more... Um, uh, a lot more vision for you guys on social media. Yeah, I should definitely reach out to those alumni. They probably would have some great ideas for us. Oh, yeah. They are full of ideas. They are wonderful. <laughs> that they are. <laughs> you know, so we, we finish all of our interviews with a very specific question that we ask all of our guests. Um, so I'm curious to know uh, what your thoughts are on this, just since we've talked about this huge futuristic topic of physical therapy education. But if you could change one aspect of healthcare education, whether it be in physiotherapy or otherwise, which aspect would you change and how would you change it? Well, this kind of goes back to where my heart is, and that is evidence-based practice. But in this case, it would be evidence-based education. So we are we do a way too much flying by the seat of our pants in education, I'm afraid, in physical therapy and elsewhere. And we have so much opportunity to be more rigorous about how we study what we do. You know, students put a lot of commitment into becoming physical therapists and society trusts them to know what they're doing. And we have a responsibility to know what is a good outcome? We need standardized outcome measures across programs, not so that we can compare each other so much as we can work with each other to advance physical therapy education. We need to study, you know, what content seems to make the most difference, be it modality or focus, or just like, you know, what do you put in your um, anatomy course to really make a difference in how clinicians think about movement, right? And how they're able to analyze movement and make clinical decisions. And so I would really like to see a much more rigorous and robust um, effort and focus on education research in physical therapy uh, to meet the needs of the current physical therapy student and the current um, and, you know, this kind of goes back to society and healthcare. Patients are relying on us to, pro to produce doctors of physical therapy that they can entrust their health to. And I'm not saying we're doing a bad job, but I think we don't really know what kind of a job we're doing for sure. And I would really like to see us make huge advances in standardizing um, how we measure students at, at a high level, then measure it and share with each other, hey, this is what seems to be working. So that, 
you know, everybody benefits in the long run. I think collaboration is definitely a key to all of that. I mean, it's a key to achieving this goal of producing these amazing physical therapists for society. So I love that you brought up collaboration. Absolutely. You know, Julie, this has been such an insightful interview, and I hope our listeners have learned a lot about the hybrid program and have just been inspired by some of the things that you've said. I know that I'm still thinking about that uh, quotation that I mentioned earlier. <laughs> it's like still such a profound statement to me. But, you know, if people do want to ask you questions or um, follow up with you or even see some of your work, where can they find you online? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at EBPDPT. Um, my email is Tilson, T-I-L-S-O-N, at USC.edu. And um, also, my, I have a webpage on the USC website. You can just Google Julie Tilson DPT and it comes up. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, Julie. And uh, for all of you listening, thanks for listening today. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients, as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere Healthcare, a telehealth platform, is a simple, low cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare. To find out more, check out anywhere.healthcare, which is available on our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. Thank you for attending class today. And we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, healthcareeducationtransformationpodcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.